All right, everyone. Welcome to the Slightly Above Average Football Fan Podcast with Andrew Drozdak and Thomas Bowen. This is a podcast for slightly above average football fans, slightly below average football fans that want to learn more about the game. And if you're a football junkie, this is the podcast for you. We're glad you're here and we hope you enjoy it. All right, here we are for episode 16 of season three of the Slightly Above Average Football Fan Podcast. I am Andrew Drozdek. I'm one of your co-hosts. I am joined by my good buddy who just finished helping Marcus Satterfield pack his boxes on the way to Lincoln, Nebraska, Thomas Bowen. Bowen, y'all get a lot of stuff done today over at the Satterfield house? Well, you know, it... (laughs) I was worried that it was going to be uh, really taxing, but you know, he didn't have a whole lot of stuff, didn't have a whole lot of books, a lot of game film, a lot of research. It was pretty bare bones in the Satterfield household. That uh, that sort of explains some things, then, doesn't it? Uh, <laughs> yes. So, Thomas, before we do jump into that big news, let's talk about last week's game. Last week was Rivalry Saturday. The Gamecocks took on their in-state rival, their arch rival, the Clemson Tigers. And one thirty-one to thirty. It was a glorious Saturday afternoon for Gamecock football. Thomas, what are your reactions to that game? Uh, my my reaction is that was uh, one hell of a monkey to get off of South Carolina's bag. That so this was coming into this game. Clemson had won what? It was a seven straight. Is that right? Was this going to be number eight? I think this was number eight. Yeah. So they've won seven. They okay. were going for eight. Okay, that, that's what I thought. Um, you know, kind of puts the old uh, the five in a row from back in the Spurrier days to, to rest. That That is nothing when you talk about seven was going on eight wins, but really uh, impressed. Um, I feel like this was – this was also, in, in one way, a lot like the Tennessee game where we kept waiting on the other shoe to drop. Mm-hmm. We kept, even when South Carolina went up 31-30, I was like, all right, well, Clemson's going to crockpot them to death, mm-hmm. run Shipley down their throats, uh, and I'll touch on that in a minute. But mm-hmm. it, it didn't. South Carolina held on. Unlike past teams, you know, this South Carolina team never gave up, stayed the course, stuck to the game plan. I thought Clayton White had a masterful – game plan, even better second half adjustments. I feel like we say that every week. Um, But I I saw a lot of good things, again, out of the offense. Um, I I saw some bad things. I'll I'll point out a couple things. Offensively, I noticed more than once Clemson was running that under front pressure where Mm -hmm. where they've got their defensive linemen uh, uh, lined up away from the tight end. We had Adkins in pass protection and used him away from the pressure. That's stupid. That's fundamental football. Now, I'm not blaming Adkins for that. I'm, I'm blaming the, the play call on that. There was another time um, we were uh, inside the five. I believe this was the, the Rattler uh, run for a touchdown. Clemson ran that double mug front where they've got both linebackers stepped up in the A-gaps either side of the center. South Carolina should have checked out of that, but they didn't. I, I still don't know how Rattler manufactured six points out of that, but damn glad he did because that's a play that, that we should have checked out of. I don't know what we were originally in there. But I say all that to say got it done, did what they needed to do. Uh, we saw this a lot in the Tennessee game. Really like using Atkins in that pass pro. That should, they should have been doing that all year. Um, flipping, flipping things to the other side, the Clemson side of the ball, really – surprised at their game plan. I'm really surprised at how quickly 
they got away from the run game or, or at least didn't stick to it consistently. Shipley was having success. I mean, he's a good running back. He was running the ball. He's picking up yards. There's been a little, a little chatter about that after the game. I'm really surprised. And finally, it was, it was, you know, you hate it for DJU, but whatever. He was, he was shaken pretty early by that South Carolina defense, particularly in the second half where he started floating balls. I felt like he was seeing ghosts a little bit. And it reminded me, I think you and I texted about this a little bit, back in those five-peat years, the Taj Boyd years, where Taj would be phenomenal all season and then come in against that South Carolina defense and just really be, be shaken and, and shut down. So it was – it was masterful. Um, uh, it, it was not perfect by any means, but got the W. One point, thirty points. Don't care. South Carolina won. I was, I was happy to see it. Happy to see it. Yeah, man. Uh, you, you hit on a lot of points that I, I'm going to reiterate. First of all, I mean, it just goes without saying what an effort. Um, you know, you mentioned not giving up, but my goodness, what an effort. I mean, I said last week, I thought we would know the outcome of this game in the first quarter. And if you went by my logic, the Gamecocks were going to be in a whole lot of trouble, which is what I was thinking because we were down 14 to nothing. But it was, you know, a resilient group. You got to give Shane Beamer and his staff credit. You know, we've, we've, I've, I'm not going to throw you in there with me. I've kind of questioned him here down the stretch. You know, Tennessee game definitely said, hey, man, he seems to have it right, the ship righted. This showed it even more because it's one thing to come out, you're clicking on all cylinders and, and you're just rolling. Like, which was pretty much what happened most of the Tennessee game. This was an adversity you had to overcome in Clemson, in your rival stadium where they've won 40 straight games. And, it, you know, it's something that could have easily turned into a finger-pointing, a, you know, it's your fault, it's your fault, you know, team-pawing apart. They kept it together. You know, the reporter, I can't remember which sideline reporter it was, asked Shane Beamer going into the half about Spencer Radler. He had thrown an interception early in the game that got returned for a touchdown. That was, a, I, I would say, Thomas, kind of a tough ball there. You know, there's a whole lot of traffic to see through there. Not a great decision, but overall not super boneheaded. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I agree. I think my only problem, and if it's the one I'm thinking of, my only problem with that was it was it was just a, a scotch too early. Yeah. But we also, I don't like the fact that we were running that inside slant route to the heavier side of the defense. Yeah. That, that's not really a good play design, but I'm not putting that all on Rattler. No, I agree. But now the later pick in the end zone was just a terrible terror. Bad play that call. Bad. bad play call. Put, a, put, his, put him in a bad position, in my opinion. But he, he's got to know as a veteran quarterback. I can only do one. I, I can only do two things here. Well, really three. I, if my guy's wide open, I throw it to him. If he's not, I throw it away. And it, my third option is if there's nobody in front of me and he's not open, I try and score with my legs. You don't try to squeeze the ball in there. And, and I mean, it was just there were two guys, two guys in orange right in front of him. It was wild yeah. that he threw that ball, but he overcame all that. And I say all that to say that the sideline reporter asked Shane, you know, what it, what's he said to Spencer? What's going to happen? And he said, I mean, this was you know just amazing. He said, I told Spencer that he's a great player and he's going to be a big part of the reason why we're going to play much better in the second half and try to our best to come out on top or something to those to that extent. He's going to be a big reason why we win this game. And sure enough, he was. And that, that takes a lot of uh, focus by a coach, a lot of dedication by a coach, a lot of belief in a player, a lot of belief in yourself as a coach that you can right the ship 
And I mean, really, it just goes to Shane Beamer. He shut out the critics all season. We were all coming at him. You, me, any media, anybody with a Twitter account, everybody, get rid of Satterfield, do this, do that. And he stayed the course. Now, it's not to say he didn't make changes. One of the things that's come out over the last two weeks, you know, there's been a lot of debate on if Marcus Satterfield was calling plays. From what I could put together in my mind after looking at all the different things, I think Marcus was calling plays. What I think happened was there was much more of a group effort in the game plan. Shane said, hey, less personnel groupings, less plays. Let's do the things our guys know. Call plays for the guys that are in the game. Stop trying to get the perfect group in and the perfect play in and getting everybody all antsy and not knowing what they do. So I do think that happened. Yeah, yeah, I think it's the the more that that we read and the more that we hear about it, I think it was kind of one of those situations where you're right, it was a group effort in the game plan. And instead of like other games where Marcus Satterfield goes into it with his entire playbook and he's just thumbing through it and just throwing darts, they went into the game plan and they said, you know, Beamer, Step, all of those guys. Stripped it down. I think the word they used was mainstream, but they yep. looked at the group of plays that their guys could execute the best. And so they basically said, all right, Satterfield, here's here's your ingredients. You can call plays from these, this sheet. Yeah, yeah this, is, this is the things you can call from, which, hey, did a good job, Tennessee and, and Clemson. He, you know, there was a couple questionable calls, but overall really good. Um, the biggest thing is they didn't panic, kept coming at Clemson. Juice Wells is an absolute stud. I, I, I really – you know, for selfish Gamecock fan reasons, want him to come back to Columbia next season. And, you know, it all depends probably on his draft grade, but he is a guy who is an absolute stud. But the guy we got to talk about, you hit on him earlier, Nate Atkins was low-key the offensive player of the game in this game. Not only did he, you know, the thing that's going to get all the media attention is the one-handed, falling backwards, you know, that was great. insane Odell Beckham-like catch from a dude who's essentially a, a glorified fullback lineman type player. I mean, it was just, I'm not trying to knock him at all. I hope he gets an NFL career out of this these past couple weeks. He's in there to help with blocking, and he's running a route, and I mean, that was just insane. And then when you watch him as a football guy who who, who loves particularly blocking, he you were exactly right. His help in pass pro was, was astronomical. I really wish he would have been in there more in that role. Got to mention the OL. Didn't have a whole lot of room running the ball. That's you know that's sort of Clemson's you know mo, but really held up fairly well, very well I would say in the past pro with Nate Atkins helping out there. I, I was very impressed with that, Thomas. This is a team that overcame a pick six, a missed fumble return for a touchdown, which the refs one thousand percent got wrong. Even the yeah. commentators said they got wrong. An interception, a bad, we just talked about it, a boneheaded, bad throw in the end zone for a pick uh, on a play you should have at least gotten three from. And, Thomas, the, the one thing I will say that maybe, you know, was iffy, I felt like the safety call was kind of a, a, a BS call. I know he was pressured, but he's throwing it, and there's a guy in the area. I don't know what in the rule book is defined as in the area, how close a guy has to be, but he was looking like he was throwing it to Juice Wells. Now, Juice Wells was further down the field than he got the ball, but he's also spinning around and falling to his knees throwing it. Irregardless, this is a team that that this was, you know, the Tennessee game was a fast, heavy, great, all cylinders clicking start. This was not that for South Carolina. And to come out on top in a game like this really – 
says to me more about this team's character and this coaching staff and the culture they've created than a Tennessee game where things were pretty much all going right. And that's great. You get to ride that wave of momentum. But, Thomas, I mean, what more can we say here? I I think it's a crowning achievement for the season. You know, two back-to-back top win or top ten wins. When you listen to national media, when you listen to football podcasts like I do, we're the topic of – South Carolina is the topic of conversation. South Carolina and Shane Beamer. I saw the Reddit – Thomas, the Reddit soccer page when the U.S. found out they were going to be playing – I guess they're playing – is it Denmark? Who's who? Who's in orange? Uh, Netherlands. Netherlands. Sorry, thank you. Netherlands. They they tweeted out, "Hey Shane Beamer, can you help us? You seem to have a really good uh, idea how to beat teams in orange." <laughs> like that's the kind of attention we're getting. That's amazing, amazing, amazing. Great way to end the season. You know, un- just unbelievable. So brings us all the way back. Thomas, news has broke. It's been. I think it's all but official. Maybe it is official. Official at this point. Marcus Satterfield is moving on to go be the offensive coordinator and tight ends coach at Nebraska with Matt Rule. Thomas, who do you want? You know, we've gone on and on about our issues with Marcus Satterfield. We can we can kind of lay that one to rest. The hay's in the barn there. What what are you looking for in a new OC? Is there a guy in particular, a couple guys in particular, a type of system? What do you what are you thinking here? Yeah, and I, I think you know I could we could do a whole show on this where we talk about the pros and the cons of the different legitimate candidates here. So there's really there's really two, maybe two and a half that that I that I want to mention here. Um, first and foremost, and, and and both of these names have been bandied about. I'm not pulling these out of thin air. Kendall Bryles, who's the current OC at Arkansas, and Graham Harrell, mm-hmm. who is the West Virginia offensive coordinator under Neil Brown. Um, now, a couple of things, and I feel like, you know, you're probably going to touch on some of your guys. I don't know if you're going to touch on these guys, but but I do think that, that you're going to like some of these systems here, some similar systems, starting with Bryles and some things that I like uh, about his system. Um, and mostly it's, it's been dubbed the veer and shoot, but I think it's really more like a spread ISO kind of attack. Uses spread concepts, creates one-on-one matchups while creating favorable numbers in the box. One of the things that Bryles does, and, and his dad, Art Bryles, did the same thing at Baylor, was super wide splits for the wide receivers, putting them outside the numbers, which really creates or, or puts your DBs on islands and all but eliminates them from defending the run. I really like the passing concepts there. A lot of 11 personnel one tight end, one running back. But one of the things that I like about Bryles and his scheme here is that he uses that tight end H back as a blocker, but it'll also leak him downfield for those play action passes. Um, usually a, a lot of his system schematically is, is one read for the quarterback. And you and I have talked about that, how important it is to have simple systems for people or simple reads for quarterbacks. His is usually just one read. You can watch the old Baylor teams. You can even watch some of the uh, Arkansas games from this year where one side, the, the wide receivers are just jogging. They're just jogging. They're just keeping coverage on that side of the field. So I like that. I think it's innovative. I think, you know, even some teams that are using just just pieces of that. Tennessee does that some this year where they're super widespread the field. Nick Saban, one of the best defensive minds in the game, has talked about how difficult it is to defend that because you're truly defending every square inch of the field. So I like that about Bryles. Harrell, Graham Harrell, I know you're a Mike Leach fan. Graham Harrell was a student in the Mike Leach tree, but he's really been a lot more balanced than Leach. 
mm-hmm. still very much air raid focusing on focusing on executing a limited number of concepts at a high level. Again, simplicity. That's what I want. Traditional air raid concepts, mesh, stick, sail, verts. Again, 11 personnel, zone heavy RPO packages. That's the bread and butter. But it's really about attacking grass and making it easy for the quarterback and wide receivers to read and react. So I think when I talk about those two guys, and, and I really just kind of realized this as I was breaking them down, that what I want is is a wide open system that's fun to watch, but is easy for the for the players to execute. Absolutely, uh, I totally agree with that statement. There's been a lot of, you know, you and I've said this a lot. I've said this in particular. If a football player, quarterback, wide receiver, offensive lineman, running back, doesn't matter, on offense has to think they've lost their edge over the defense. The de- For the, sure. The offense should know what they're doing, and that gives you a split-second head start, split-second advantage. Think about this, Thomas. Think about defensive backs. Let's say we're play- the, the defensive backs play in cover three. So anybody who doesn't know what that is, you've got a single high safety in the middle, two, wide, two, sa- uh, two corners on the wide. They're going to break the, th- the field into thirds, and they're going to all cover deep third. They all have a third of the field. So as a wide receiver, or excuse me, as a DB, what's really hard there, if you're covering a wide receiver, if he pushes vertical, Thomas, you don't know what he's going to do. Say after mm-hmm. that 10-yard stem, he's going he's gonna, to uh, break down and come back on a hitch, or he's going to give you that and then come up. That's the advantage the wide receiver has. He knows what he's doing. The DB doesn't. He's having to guess and be a better athlete and react. And so if, if you're calling 8 million different plays and you've got to make an adjustment on the fly, this, that, and the other. So if the wide receiver is going, oh, what do I do here? Okay, what am I? Am I running a slant? Am I? Oh, God, what am I doing? We, everything's off kilter. So that has been proven, was proven the last two weeks. South Carolina was proven if what we believe to be true is the case, that things were simplified and mainstreamed and whatever words you want to use. Spencer Radler knew where he was going with the ball, and he threw it uh, confidently. Right, Wide receivers ran routes. And blocking, Thomas, if you have 8 million different blocking calls that you have to make as an offensive lineman, it is really difficult to then block because let uh, again talking about advantage versus disadvantage as an offensive lineman in pass protection you're at a bit of a disadvantage you're literally retreating you're literally giving up ground and if you're uncomfortable about whoa do i have support inside outside is this my guy is that my guy all of a sudden we're going to have an olay block that turns into a, a lookout block which is hey look out he's coming to break your back quarterback so i mean it's just you can't do that so i say all that to say kendall Bryles, graham harold Air raid, college-based systems are all about simplicity and fun and kids getting to play football. And that is what we need. I like either one of those two guys. I really like Bryles because he is what you say it was you've heard it referred to the veer and shoot. Is that what you heard? Yeah. Yeah, the veer and shoot. Oh my god, that just gets me excited. I love a veer. <laughs> I thought you'd like that. Yeah. I love the veer run game and I love the run and shoot. So let's do that. I you know, I was already on the Kindle Bryles train, but holy moly, yes. Let's do it. Um now now, now here's the kicker. Here here's the kicker is that so so those are those are probably my top two, but I just it goes without saying that I, I feel like there is a possibility. There's always a possibility in situations like this that there could be a promotion from within. And I feel like whether he's blowing smoke or not, Beamer has started to lay some groundwork for that. I heard in his press conference, or maybe it was on Heath Klein's show the other day, he made some mention of 
you know, they were asking him what, what he was looking for in an offensive coordinator, talked about guys with experience, calling plays, system, scheme. But he also mentioned, he said, but, you know, there's also certain guys got to start somewhere. He's like, there's there's a lot of talented people on our staff, people that have never right. called plays before. So I, I think he could be laying the groundwork for that. I don't uh, – right now on its face, I, I don't like that. And, yeah. and it, that's, no, that's not an indictment on anybody on our staff. Now, if right. it comes out – Weeks from now that, hey, guess what? It was Step that game plan and called every play the last two games. Then I would eat that crow and I would say, hey, well, maybe we need to give him a shot. But more often than not, that does not work out. I think we need a reset, bring in somebody new. Well, and if you want an example of that not working really well, look up the road to the team in orange that we just beat. Exactly. You talked about their game plan on offense. Listen, if they'd have given the ball to Will Shipley 20 times in the second half, we aren't having this conversation. You know, Oops. like he he was breaking off runs at six six yards plus on average, and that's not an indictment of our defense. He's just a good running back, and they have a good offensive line. For whatever reason, you know, uh, Streeter got into a okay. They want to throw the ball. We're going to throw the ball too mindset. And I'm going to tell you what changed the game, Thomas, was because we've now digressed all the way back to that. Nick, is it Eman Ware? Is that how I say that? Yeah, Wari, Emin Wari. Emin Wari, okay. Okay. Yeah, there you All go. Right. I'm getting closer. With the, <laughs> the hit he hit, he put on DJ on that run where DJ got up mm-hmm. and was super slow and then spent the rest of the game on the bike on the sideline trying to loosen things up. That was a game changing blow. As much as there can be in today's game, that was like a, a John Lynch, Steve Atwater, uh, you know, Ronnie Lott type hit where he. <laughs> started thinking about, ooh, I don't know if I want to run this thing in the middle anymore. That number 21 is going to come up and sting me. So here's the thing. I I digress from that. I agree. If, if step if it comes out the step called the plays the last two weeks and, and he's the man, cool. But we're in a much different position than we were two years ago. Shane Beamer is not an unproven commodity at this point. His his data, his his, you know, line of work may be relatively short, but in two years, Thomas, he took a team that had four different quarterbacks under center and won enough games to go to a bowl game, then won a bowl game with a kid at quarterback who hadn't played all all year at quarterback other than Wildcat. This year, things looked like it was going way off the rails. Missouri, Florida looked like a disaster, and he brings it back and wins eight games in the regular season Beats three top three top twenty five teams, two of them on the road, two of them in the top ten. You know, like there ought to be guys, there ought to be coaches that are already offensive coordinators in power five conferences. Going, hey, I want I want to be a part of that. I want to be on that staff. You know, and let's be honest, Thomas. Let's be honest. Think back to the Will Muschamp era. Did anybody, players or coaches, look like they were having any fun at all? No. Not at all. When you now watch Shane Beamer's time at Carolina, everybody look like they're having fun? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a big party. They, big family. Check culture change. Yeah, I mean, everybody's, you know, we're putting on the sunglasses. We're dancing around. You know, we're doing the things. And everybody's hugging, and there's a, there's a, a family feel. You said that. So who wouldn't want to be a part of that? You know, K- you know Kendall Bryles was at Arkansas with Step. With Justin Step, and and you know he may have given that point. he may have given his boy a call or a text and be like, hey man, I'm telling you, you want to be a part of this. This is something we got something brewing here in Columbia, 
And, you know, hey, and I'm not discounting Graham Harold. Graham Harold, West Virginia didn't have the year that they really wanted to have this year. It was announced today that their head coach, is it Neil Brown? Yeah, Neil Brown is coming back. Yeah. He's kind of in a lame duck type situation. So oh, yeah. Graham Harold may be like, I got to get out of here. So whereas before we were calling around, you got to remember there was also the whole Mike Bobo was going to stay at offensive coordinator mess that threw everything, a monkey wrench and everything. Whereas before we were calling people, now they're calling us. Now these OCs are calling Shane Beamer going, hey, man, I, I know your offense turned it on the last two weeks of the season, but I can get you guys right. I can get you where you need to be. Um, the biggest thing is, and this has been talked about a lot, what does Spencer Radler do? He can't transfer again. Can he without sitting out a year? I, isn't that how that works? <sighs> think so i honestly can't even keep up with it anymore at this point but i think that's right yeah because you get yeah that makes sense because you get one freebie essentially right. and then you have to sit out a you year. get one do-over and then it's back to the old rule where you sit out a year so right. he, he's not looking to transfer it, I, right. as great as he's been the last two weeks you know maybe he goes in the bowl game lights it up again and goes okay i've done enough i can get myself drafted but you know does the next offensive coordinator go, you know, yeah, that's the type of court, you know, Graham Harold's offense air raid familiar to him, just like what he ran in Oklahoma. Very similar. Um, you know, Graham Harold may go, yeah, give me Spencer Rattler. But then you look at a Kendall Brile, he may go and ah, I want to, I want to see what that Luke Doty kid can do. And, and True. you know, so that's an interesting thing. I think one of the other things is juice Wells and Jaheim bell and guys with eligibility like them, they want to play in a fun, exciting offense. Let's be honest. Yeah. Let's be honest. Those two in particular, particularly Bell, were very frustrated this year by how the offense was ran. And I feel like Bell, I'm not going to, I don't know him. I've never spoken to him. So let me be clear that I'm completely going on just my personal thoughts by his reading his body language, his family's reactions on social media. I feel like he felt like he was sold a bag of goods that he was told things were going to happen a certain way on the offense that didn't, and he got frustrated. And so if you get a guy, again, Kendall, Ken, uh, Kendall Browell's offense, he, he can be that H-back type role that you're talking about. He can do a lot of things. So very interesting. I think South Carolina is in a very good position to find a good offensive skater. Here's the thing I will say, Thomas. Do not, do not bring me – another guy who's trying to run the Rams and the 49ers offense. Like, no. don't do it. And, I mean, Kentucky just fired their OC, who was who was kind of a similar cut from the same cloth. It, it's not – it doesn't work. It doesn't work in college level for – you know, what it's not working for the Rams right now either. So, like, <laughs> yeah. just, you know, do not do that. Uh, my final thought on that, Thomas, before we look at our regular season wrap-up, again, I will say it, South Carolina – could things, Thomas, you know, other than like, okay, you know, I was about to say, could things have ended any better? Well, of course they could have. We could have not looked like crap at, in Gainesville. You know, we could have put up more than 13 against Missouri. But when you look at that two-week stretch going into the offseason before a bowl game, is it possible to be in a better position than we are right now? No, I don't think so. Like, again, if, if you – I think I think South Carolina did a really good job of making some pretty good chicken salad at the end of the season, if yeah, you know what I mean. I do. I do. Um, but here's my thought that just popped in my head. As an, another thing, as an, as an offensive coordinator, Shane Beamer stood by his guy. 
Shane Beamer took the arrows for his his OC at many times. You got to kind of like that as an offensive coordinator. You got to go. Yeah, I want to play. I want to coach with him. Exactly, exactly the point I was going to make. You you want you know regardless of what's happening behind the scenes, Beamer handled it perfectly. Even even if Satterfield didn't call a single damn play in the Tennessee game, he right. got a game ball because you know what Beamer wants to create that atmosphere that hey you want to come you want to come work for me you want right. to be on my staff right maybe maybe him and Matt Rule had been talking for weeks who knows but you never know he he publicly supported his guy and was not about to hear the you know us the noise of get rid of him and as a coach you got to like that you got to go hey he's got my back even if we start off rough next season you know he's going to stand up for me and say this is the guy i wanted this is the guy i believe in so that that's got to be an attractive feature as well all right thomas wrapping up the regular season for the gamecocks what are your your thoughts there yeah i think uh you know, just to kind of put put a bow on things, and really looking forward to to bowl season here to see who South Carolina is going to draw because I think they are going to get uh, a pretty nice matchup. Could be fun. Could be a cool destination. But really, overall, a lot of ups and downs. If if you're going to have an up and down season the way that South Carolina did, you really like to end it the way that they did, particularly when you. When you end your in-state rivals' forty whatever game home winning streak, and you end their seven game winning streak as well in the rivalry, so you got to like that. I did look back at the um, the early early season notes, uh, the show that we had JC Sherbert from the Big Spur two four seven Sports dot com, and one of the things that that I said on there was I, I said that Birch and Pickens would combine for eighty plus tackles and eight sacks. I'm a little light on the sacks. They've combined for six sacks, but we haven't even got to the bowl game, and those two have combined for 98 tackles. There you so go. we're seeing good things. We're seeing progression. We have seen um, – I really like – and we mentioned this before. There were question marks at certain position groupings coming into the season. Those have been eliminated. Of course, we had injuries, but really like the way that the program is going. And I think right now, if you're buying stock in a – I'm doing air quotes up and coming uh, program here that is doing some good things is you're buying stock in South Carolina because they are certainly trending up. Yeah, totally agree. I don't, I can't remember who said it. It may have been Josh uh, Pat Pate who said it. He talked about the South Carolina Clemson game and what it would mean. You know, if South Carolina went out and got beat and beat pretty handedly by Clemson, it would have been the old, the same old South Carolina. Yeah, they had a good week, but this is the, you know the reality set back in. But he talked yeah. about he talked about how a win at Clemson was a program changing win, and and I I agree with that. It doesn't mean that hey we can kick our feet up and we're going twelve and zero next season and going to make the college football playoff. It means we're headed as you said an up and comer. The stock is on the rise. Overall, eight and four is what I was about about what I was expecting. You know, I, I'm I am okay with an I'm I'm thrilled with an eight and four season. But what's crazy about it is if you'd have told me after Missouri and Florida we were going to win the last two to go eight and four, I'd have told you you were nuts. Like <laughs> yeah. that that did not register. So that that is impressive, impressive, impressive. Thomas, I'm going to go real quick through this. I, I kind of gave out some some end of the season awards. Offensive coach of the year in my mind's Justin Stepp. Nobody, nobody's position group played better than the wide receivers. Do you agree with that? Yeah, 
Completely, yeah, yeah. I agree with that. Offensive player of the year, I would give to Juice Wells with a hat nod or a hat tip or a head nod to Nate Atkins and really to Marshawn Lloyd when he was healthy. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Uh, it's, it's really been, you know, you hate it for Marshall and Lloyd because he's been playing so well. He just seems to get hit by that injury bug. But who knows? Maybe we'll have a big bowl game. That's true. That's true. Defensive coach of the year, Torian Gray. He does not get talked about. I said his first name correct, didn't I? Yeah, you're okay. right. I thought right. it was Torian. So he doesn't get, you know, Pete Limbo has been so good this year as a special teams coordinator, apparently not good enough to end up on the, you know, assistant coach of the year finalist award, which is absurd. But <laughs> yeah. Torian Gray did not get the credit he deserved. Nick Emanwere was a, is a true freshman and not a highly, mm-hmm. not a highly recruited one at that. D- yeah. DQ Smith played quarterback last year in high school. And was yeah. out there making plays at safety, starting really. By the way, switching back, or, or, or I'll get there in a second, actually. So I don't think Torian Gray gets enough credit. He he really, really just crushed it. Defensive player of the year, in my mind, is Nick Emanwore. Thomas, what a season by that guy. This is the best nickname I've heard for him. It was on a uh, on the Big Spur website or uh, message board. Uh, the the poster's name is Spurs Up nine, 98 or 1989. Shout out to him. He called him the Silent Swearinger. I kind of like it. <laughs> I do like it. I always was a, a DJ Swag fan, so I, I love to have that out there. And yeah, he is kind of one of those guys. He he probably doesn't talk as much smack as DJ did, but but he he delivers every play, every yeah. game. I mean, just really good. He's Thomas. Let me. It's, I've seen this posted in a couple different places. Let me get your thought on this. Is he somebody you could see growing into a linebacker? I mean, he's six foot four. Yeah. Particularly like for. I, I mean, I think he could be one of those prototypical three four guys in the league. Yeah, outside sure. linebacker, absolutely good cover guy. Can lay the wood, run support. De- definitely special teams player of the year, Kai Kroger. I mean, that's got to be. It's got to be who it is, right? Yeah, and it, and and I think you and I were talking about this too. Is is you know, people starting to put a lot of emphasis on kickers, and you know what, what's more important is is a an automatic field goal kicker or a punter. Honestly, I would say that punter that can do that coffin corner is more valuable. Just in the Clemson game, Kai Kroger, three of his. Yeah, three of his seven punts were inside the five. Like that really makes things a lot easier for your defense. Flipping the field and putting a, a team at their with their back against their own end zone is is a, is a weapon that when you have it, it is so awesome. It is so yeah. awesome. And and yeah, now Mitch Jeter, shout out, he was literally perfect on the year. D- you know, did not yeah. miss. So. Is it? You're correct. I would say you got to have that punter with the punt position. But imagine if you lost a game because you missed a field goal or you missed an extra point. So overall, punter, yes. But you got to give a shout out to Mitch there. Bowl game, I want sure. Thomas. I want you talked about a good bowl game and some fun destinations. I want the Citrus Bowl, man. I, I want the Citrus Bowl. I feel like it's more highly regarded right now than the Gator Bowl, and particularly whatever they call the bowl in Tampa anymore that used to be the Outback Bowl. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I think so. And I think, honestly, I think for me, based on what I've seen most recently, uh, we could really be looking at the Citrus Bowl. A lot of people were saying that originally it's going to have, you know, it was going to hinge on what LSU did in Atlanta. But the latest I've heard is regardless of what LSU does, that we should be 
keying up for the Citrus Bowl. And that's what I've heard, too, in that the Citrus Bowl wants us, regardless of what LSU does or anybody else does. They want us. Because you got to think about it. If, if, if you're a bowl committee or president or however that works, look at the – the end of the year for the Gamecocks. Who's going to travel better? Let's say we're going to get in the SEC championship here in a second. Let's say LSU gets boat raced by Georgia, which is possible. You lost to Texas A&M to end your year. Are they traveling well to the Citrus Bowl? Probably not. The Gamecocks are fired up. You send us to Orlando, you'll see Garnet and Black take over that city. Um, So I really – and as far as the team I'd like to see there – uh, either either Penn State or Purdue, just those are my two favorites that I would like to see because those are, you know, Penn State's that that blue blood program stuff, and Purdue's kind of they've been a giant killer here lately. So I'd like to take them on. All right, Thomas, I mentioned that we were going to talk about the SEC championship. Georgia and LSU square off on Saturday to win, who to see who wins the SEC championship. Thomas, what are your initial thoughts here? You know. We go back to the Georgia-Tennessee game, and I, I, I know I was wrong. I believe we were both dead wrong about that. I thought Tennessee was going to murder Georgia in that game. I thought that Georgia had a whole lot of holes in their defense. I also thought that Georgia's back seven or even back four would not be able to hang with Tennessee. Well, we saw what happened, and I came out of that Tennessee game saying, I was damn wrong on that, and Georgia has the best defense in the country. Um And so I say all that to say, if you are a betting man, do not listen to what I'm about to say because I'm probably dead wrong on this. I think Georgia is going to cream LSU. Now, things could get a little interesting. It's always, this is the SEC championship game. This is in Atlanta. Crazier things have happened. But Georgia's linebackers are definitely going to get tested this game. This is probably you know, one of the best running quarterbacks they've faced. But again, it's Georgia. They've got the speed. They've got the talent at linebacker to to corral Daniels and that and that run game as well. Georgia also has the talent, as we have seen, against, you know, arguably, regardless of what South Carolina did to them, Tennessee probably has the best wide receiving core, certainly in the SEC. Yep. And we saw that Georgia has the talent to leave their DBs on islands and still get after the quarterback. So Honestly, I, I think that LSU is a little bit of fool's gold in this game. I, I kind of feel like they benefited, certainly benefited from um, those Alabama losses. And I feel like they kind of they more or less have backdoored their way into this. Now, yeah. has LSU had some good wins? They absolutely have. But I just think Georgia's head and shoulders above LSU right now. Yeah, I would agree. And, you know, Thomas mentioned if you're a betting man. Well, if you are a betting man, go to Better's Edge. It's the premier no-fee social betting marketplace. Better's Edge allows users to create their own prices and lines for sports betting positions in 45 states, most importantly in South Carolina. These lines and prices are often better than you can find anywhere else. Use the code AVERAGE at sign up to get $20 in your wallet when you verify your account just for listening to the Slightly Above Average Football Fan Podcast. Visit bettersedge.com slash average to get started today. That's B-E-T-T-O-R-E-D-G-E dot com slash average. So, Thomas, the spread on this game, speaking of if you're going to Better's Edge to put some money down, is uh, Georgia – Minus 17 and a half. I feel like. Holy crap, I didn't see that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I think that. But I also think that's a little bit of fool's gold because, you know, like they're they're trying to get you to put money on on, on LSU. And I think it could be a blowout. I think it could be a blowout. I don't. 
I, I mean, I said this in the notes. Do we really think LSU has a shot here, particularly after the Texas A&M game? I just don't. No. Yeah, I just mm-hmm. – I, Georgia looks like they're on a fast path to being number one. They're already ranked number one uh, right now in the college football playoffs to staying there to play for the national championship. Like, and then again, Thomas, let's say, let's say things stay chalk and we'll talk about what it would be if it doesn't stay chalk and how it could get that way. Right now, number two is Michigan, number three is TCU, number four is Southern Cal. Let's say that stays the exact same. Of those four teams, maybe Michigan can give Georgia a game, but I'm not even positive they can. That's that's honestly because I, I think as far as when you look at matchups, I think Michigan matches up very now before the Ohio State game, I probably wouldn't agree with you. But after right. I saw what Michigan did against Ohio State, right. yeah, I think that would probably be a pretty good matchup. Yeah, I think that's probably your best matchup. Um if LSU is going to win this game, they're going to need several turnovers uh by Georgia. They're going to need to be creative and aggressive. And, you know, they they need to do based on what South Carolina did the past two weeks, be as simple as they can on offense and go let their players play and put their put you know put out a great defensive performance. I just don't see it happening. I think Georgia rolls LSU yeah. in, in Atlanta yeah. and and is riding high on the hog going into the college football playoff. Speaking of which, you know, we just kind of said what what. You know, if everything stays chalk, who it would be. Thomas, in my opinion, the biggest game to watch this weekend, which I think is actually on Friday, is Southern Cal and Utah for the Pac 12 championship. Utah's beat Southern Cal earlier this year. That is the game where, if, you know, if Southern Cal loses and they're at number four and already have one loss and they have two losses, they're definitely coming out. And if you just think, okay, they bump one team up because nobody else is playing, does that put Ohio State back in? Yeah, I mean, I think I think if you're an Ohio State fan, you are a very big Utah fan this Friday. You Absolutely. are right; that is on Friday night because I think I think if I think if TCU or Southern Cal loses, then I think Ohio State slides in at number four. I think if TCU and Southern Cal both lose, then I think Ohio State is sliding at number three. And four is either going to be TCU, depending on the margin of their loss, or possibly Alabama. Whoo, man. The inter- and the world will implode. I was about to say the internet will explode if Alabama sneaks back into the playoff. Um, so that's crazy. That would be wild. Um, Thomas, somewhat off topic here. Did Caleb Williams, with his performance against Notre Dame, in your opinion, did he just win himself? I mean, barring a, a laying an egg against uh, Utah, did he just win himself the Heisman with that performance? Yeah, I think I think a couple things. I think he did win himself the Heisman for that, and I think Georgia and South Carolina kept Hendon Hooker out of New York or, or at least out of out of winning that as well. I, I agree. I agree. You know, South Carolina's win over Tennessee, uh, they, they messed up two things for the Vols, their chance for uh, a shot at the national championship and their chance for Hayden Hooker to win the Heisman Trophy. And that has nothing to do with him getting hurt. And I, I we're not advocating that right. at all. It was just in the performance that he, he showed. And another guy who, who, 
lost himself the Heisman, but this was last Saturday. In my opinion, is C.J. Stroud. Um, you know, oh, his, yeah. his performance against Michigan. I was watching that game. My father-in-law was up with my in-laws. They're still celebrating Thanksgiving. Shout out to Todd. We were watching the Ohio State-Michigan game. I told him. I said, I, I think you guys roll Michigan. Oh boy, was yeah, I wrong! I did too. Uh, yeah, I was wrong on that one. But and here's the thing: uh, Herb Street said this on Chris Fowler's Instagram later in the after they had called their late game. They were talking about the, the the summary of the of the day. He talked about this, and as he said it, I really agreed with it. He said, "As I was watching Ohio State, and as that that as the worm started to turn, and Michigan started to to make that comeback because they got up ten to nothing or ten to three or whatever it was." And then Michigan kind of just steamrolled him. He said you could see the Ohio State players, coaches, and fans getting tight, going, oh, no, not again. We can't have this happen again. And that is very not Ohio State. So that is crazy, which brings me to this question, because my father-in-law said he had been hearing this. Is Ryan Day on the hot seat in Columbus? I, I I think he is, and I think I think some of it may be a little bit of his own doing as well. I mean, I think it's, I, I, I think most people know and realize that Ryan Day has his sights set on the NFL one day, right? And maybe you know this is two in a row losing to to Michigan, you know, heated heated rival there, um, and. I think it is a little bit of that Mark Richt effect yeah. is getting us to the gates, getting us to the gates, but not getting over that hump. And Ohio State fans, while they may be more patient than, I don't know, Florida fans, they're not the most patient fans. No, I agree. And and losing to Michigan and, and the way they did at home, getting rolled is, is not a good look. And, you know, it's funny you should mention Ryan Day going to the NFL. I heard, uh, I believe it was on the uh, Green Light podcast with podcast with Chris Long and a uh, litany of other people, including his brother Kyle. But they talked about how Harbaugh was, you know, if you remember, he went interviewed for Minnesota Vikings last year. And oh, yeah. so, I mean, he's not out of the question of looking at the NFL. What would Ohio State and Michigan do if both their head coaches leave to go to the NFL the same year? Like they got him back, got him to the pinnacle, and then said, "You know what? I'm tired of dealing with you boosters and all this nonsense. Peace. I'm going to the league." Um, if, if if that did happen, then it would it would completely nobody would care anymore about Lincoln Riley and and Brian Kelly leaving in, in the middle of the night. Oh, absolutely to, to not! Absolutely not. Which okay, I'm glad you brought up Lincoln Riley. Let's assume Southern Cal makes it in to the playoff. Lincoln Riley's mm-hmm. Oklahoma teams that made it to the playoffs usually got blown out in the semifinals. Mm -hmm. Let's say the Trojans play, I guess it would be Georgia, and get, just assuming things stay the same, get blown out. What does his reputation become? Because, you know, is he just the regular season guy who can put up big numbers and can't win the big one, so to speak? Yeah, I think it's, I think, I think if that were to happen this year, I think he's going to get a pass because I do think that he's, you know, he's, he has moved to a much more fertile recruiting ground. This is, this is year one over there in, in in LA. Like he's got to give, I think, I think they'll give him a little bit more time. Now, if that continues to happen year two, year three, year four. Yeah. Yeah. I think think people want to talk then. Because, you know, Bob Stoops, Another a former Oklahoma coach very quickly went from big game Bob to can't, 
to can't win the big one, Bob. And and yeah. so it's just I was thinking about that today as I was getting ready for our show. Like if he loses another one and gets his tail whipped again, uh, are people going to start saying, "Hey, can this guy do it?" When it comes down to you know best on best, you know I I agree with you. I think he gets a pass. Caleb Williams is is a different animal, man. That guy is an absolute really good, stud really good, and looked amazing. You know, I haven't seen a whole lot of Southern Cal this year. You know, they're usually playing late night because they're on the West Coast, and I don't get to see them. But if there was ever a hey East Coast bias, he doesn't win the Heisman Friday night, eight p.m. only game in town on Fox. Him taking on the youths of which reminds me of my cousin Vizzy, Vinny. Um, the, the youth, uh, but he he's he's got prime time, baby. He this is national TV. Everybody's watching. You know, if he goes out there and does what he did against Notre Dame and many other teams this year, man, he's a landslide in my opinion to win the Heisman. Um, you know, Thomas, as we wrap this up, I think we may have mentioned this last week, but I saw where Nick Saban is still like advocating you know i really think we should expand the playoffs do you nick do you <laughs> of course <laughs> now of that, course now that the rest of the sec is catching up to you a little bit you're like hey it's gonna be harder for us to win every game can we go to 12 can we go to 12 yeah and he better be careful what he wishes for because this year's alabama team if it were 12 he might get his ass whipped in the first round you're exactly right speaking of alabama before we head out the door we got to talk about their rival here for a second Interesting head coach hire uh, over at Auburn with Hugh Freeze, Thomas. What are your thoughts there? Uh, not surprising, and notwithstanding, you know the uh, the ups and downs and 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 Freeze's exit from from Ole Miss and and whatever you want to say about that. But I think it is uh, it is a <laughs> it. Do with do with this as you as you wish, but I think it was a, it's a textbook Auburn hire. I do think that he will have some success at Auburn. How much remains to be seen. I think he is a good coach. I do think people deserve second chances, but um, we'll uh, we'll see what happens. I mean, you're still stepping into the West at least as long as it exists, and you're still facing Saban as long as that West exists. Right. Well, and somebody pointed out somewhere i read college football stuff all the time it's hard to remember where i I read everything but that you know last season when they were trying to drive brian uh harson out there was supposedly a a made-up possible affair with a staffer and that was going to be how they were going to get rid of him and then they bring in hugh freeze that there was you know some known things in his past um And I agree with you, Thomas. I'm all for second chances. I'm all for second chances. I don't think a guy makes a mistake and should be ruined for the rest of his life or anything like that. But it's just really interesting considering that. Um, Then you look at another hire, Matt Rule. We touched on it briefly. Did I see he's making like $8 million a year, $9 million a year at Nebraska, or did I imagine that? I haven't seen that, but it wouldn't surprise me. Nebraska's so desperate to be relevant again. Some, yeah, somebody yeah. talked about them being a blue blood, blue blood program, but like, let's be honest. When was the last time Nebraska was relevant? What? 99, 97. Yeah. Probably when they still ran the triple option. Yeah. Back with Eric Crouch, which was a long yeah. time ago when they yeah. got smoked by that may have been 2001 when they got smoked by the hurricanes in the national championship. Like, but that's, yep. That's a long time ago. And, and you know, so that's funny. You know, oh, we're a blue blood program. Really? 
Are you at this yeah. point? Yeah, still? Not, not so much. Yeah. Not so much. All right. So everybody, as we head out the door, make sure to follow us on social media at, at SAA football fan at SAA football fan on Instagram and on Twitter. We usually do some tweeting during the games talking about big moments. Make sure and check this out there. You can send us an email at as at SAA, excuse me, not at just SAA football fan at gmail.com thomas it's been a fun season a great season it's not over yet we still got a lot of fun to come uh folks stick around with us learn some more about the game have some fun learning about some stuff that's coming up bowen as we head out the door is there anything you want to tell the people i just want to tell the people to hug and kiss the the ones you love and enjoy your weekend (laughs) ah that's great see ya see ya